If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we will spend most of our time this morning in the last 10 verses looking at Romans 3, 21 down through verse 31. But I want to read for us um, a little further up in the chapter. So I want to start in verse number 9 go through the end of the chapter, and but you need to understand, if you're looking at the screen for those verses, those verses will start at verse 21. And so uh, listen as I read. If you have a copy of God's Word with you at your seat, you uh, follow along with me as I read uh, this morning. Paul records these words. In Romans 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, they're under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet They're swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law one comes knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? (laughs) It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Heavenly Father, as we look over the next few moments at these verses, Father, I pray that um, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives. God, you would speak into our heart and you would speak into our lives from your word this morning. This is a glorious text. It, it is a, a culmination, so to speak, as you have understood in giving chapters 1 and chapters 2 that we needed, that, that we, for us to understand your desire, your love, your path for us as humans, we needed this text. So Father, would you allow me to uh, explain it in a, in a way that, Father, this body seated in front of me this morning can understand it. Father, may I be faithful to your text, and God, may you use your text to bring glory to your name today, this week, and weeks and months to come. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I have anticipated this morning for some time. Last year, as I was reading through the book of Romans in my devotion time, as I was uh, looking at it, how I would break it apart, so to speak, from sermon to sermon and even from one part to the next because next week is Mother's Day and then after that we will not jump right back into chapter 4. We are taking a break, so to speak, of Romans for just a little while before we get back into it. And as I was walking through the text and through the passages, I, I understood the weight of chapter 1. I understood the weight of chapter 2, and I understood the weight of the first part of chapter 3. Even one of you that is seated here today, when I told them, told you what I was preaching, they stated this, well, I will see you after Easter because of the weight of Romans 1, 2, and 3. And it is a hard passage for us to digest and for us to understand because we see ourselves, God shows us ourselves as those that are lacking. And we don't like to necessarily look at ourselves that way. But this passage, chapter 3, starting in verse 21 down through the end of the chapter, kind of brings us out of the cave. It brings us out of the darkness. It brings us out of this weight to understand, oh yeah, there is some hope. There, there is a possibility for hope if you and I find it in Christ. And so uh, I, I have anticipated this. I, I will not go back and preach the weeks previous 
in chapters 1 and 2 and even that of chapter 3, but I do want to give a cliff note version, so to speak. So in chapter 1, as you remember, Paul was an apostle. He was a sent one with a specific message to that church at Rome and to all of Christianity. And he wrote it and he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. He, it, this word, Christ, is the power of God. But you need to understand that God didn't create you a robot, Riverbend. He didn't create you a robot. He didn't create me a robot. He didn't create the world. He didn't create robots. And if you don't want him, he says that's fine. He wants you to love him. He wants me to love him because we want to, not because he made you. But if you choose not to love him, you need to understand their consequences. And in chapter 1, he said, here is a huge list of these consequences. Here is a huge list. If that's what you want, sir or ma'am, if that's what you want, Gentiles, if that's what you want, Jews, if that's what you want, Americans, if that is the direction that you desire to go, please understand that he gave you over to your debased mind. And he gave a huge list there of all types of, of actions and sin. And then in chapter 2, he said, it's not just the Gentiles and those that are worldly, pagans that have a cause of fear and have a cause of what I might call a catch-up in their spirit, so to speak. But it's also the Jews. It's also those that think on the outside, hey, I know the law. I know the Old Testament. I know your word, God. I'm okay, right? And he says, no, you're not necessarily okay. Because it's not just knowing something and it's not even just doing something because there is this law and the law is there. It is a standard for you and it is a standard for me. It doesn't help us. It doesn't hinder us. It is just the standard. And then he comes in the passage that we have today. The passage that I read from verse number 9, and he says, here's the problem. Here is the real problem. The real problem is this. There is nobody that's righteous. There's nobody that has ever or will ever seek after God. There's nobody. And that nobody means you, and that nobody means me. There's no one, no one, none that are righteous. But there is hope. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We find ourselves this morning with two steps or two keys to understand these verses and this passage. Uh, The first step or the first key is this, that the righteousness of God has been on display for all to see. You look there in verse number 21. I'll read it for us again, but here is what Paul records in that verse. He says this, but now, now, right at this very moment in the first century, right at this very moment in the 21st century, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets 
bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe have been seen. It has been manifested. Two statements, two words uh, really that need to be defined for you and for me to understand this. Um, and for us to kind of grab a hold of it is this. First is, what's righteousness? And, and second, what's manifested? Righteousness and manifested. All right? So here's what righteousness is. Righteousness is, de- is described or defined this way. To be just and morally right. It is only God who is righteous and He has shown this to everyone. You say, how in the world has He shown this to everyone? Well, you have to look back in Romans chapter 1. Let me read verses 18 through 20 for us. It states this, For the wrath of God is revealed, in verse 18, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness they have suppressed the truth. For what can be known about God is plain. It's plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He has shown it to Americans, he has shown it to the Chinese, he has shown it to the Indians, he has shown it all around the world. It has been plainly seen and shown what, you might ask. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely this, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since creation. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so man is without excuse. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. For you and for me to understand this righteousness, we have to understand a couple of things. The first is this. God does not want to keep secrets from you. He he doesn't want to keep a secret from you. The secret is out. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, as Paul would say later, of which I am the foremost. I am the chief among sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. That is his desire for you, and that's his desire for me, that There is this Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He came to give His life, as we will see in just a moment, for you and for me. And this righteousness has been manifested. So what's the definition of manifest? It has been made visible. It has been made clear. You can see this righteousness. You can see God clearly. Not just through the law and not just through the prophets, but he is going to make this argument. You see the righteousness of God through the one Jesus Christ. His righteousness is not through the law. His righteousness is not manifested through the prophets, although they bear witness. Both of them do. What is the law? We looked at this last week. The law is just a standard. It is the mark that has to be made for you and for me to be in right standing with God. It does not help you. It does not hinder you. It is just the standard. 
Okay? I've given this example previously, maybe even last week. I've slept a couple of times since then. But here is the example. Thursday and yesterday. So Thursday and yesterday, we had a carload full of people, and we were driving down the interstate. And every so often, there was a white sign with an outlined black edge that had two words on it that said speed limit, and then under those two words, there were numbers, okay? That's the standard. That, that is the rule. That is the law. Every so often, Paige would look over there, and she said, you're not driving the speed limit. And I said, you're exactly right. I am not. But then Thursday, about halfway to South Carolina, I thought about something. And here's what my thought was. You know what? I'm not in my truck. And I know where I keep my driver's license. It's in the console in between the two drivers, in between the two front seats in my truck. And so for about five minutes, I paused and I drove the speed limit. And then I said, you know what? I really want to get to a bed pretty quick. And then I said, you know what? Why don't we just go ahead and drive? And uh, I understand what the rule is. I understand what the law is. Yes, youth, we talked about this Wednesday night. I understand that. This is what the rule is. And if I would have been pulled over, guilty. I understand the fine is a lot. But that did not help me. It did not hinder me whatsoever. It was just there. That is the law. The law does not help. It just shows you here is the mark you must hit. And then there are the prophets. All throughout the Old Testament. There is one Moses. There is Elijah. There is Elisha. There is Daniel. There is Ezekiel. There is Isaiah. There is prophet after prophet after prophet who stood up and did two things. They foretold what was going to happen because God had told them this will happen. But then they also foretold. Thus says the Lord. Here is the law. Here is how you, Israel, here is how you, sir, you, ma'am, you, family, here is how you should live. Foretold and foretold. But that's not how God's righteousness in these days, as Paul is writing, that's not how it has been manifested. How is it been manifested? It has been manifested through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. God made a way for you, sir, ma'am. Made a way for us, River Bend. He made a way for us to be saved. And it wasn't through the law. It wasn't through the prophets. His righteousness was seen and was clearly seen, projected through this one Jesus Christ. So the first key was that it has been clearly manifested or put on display, His righteousness. But second this morning, as we look in verses 23 down through the end of the chapter, second, you and I need to understand this, that our boasting, the boasting of man has been silenced as works fall short. They fall short of a number of things. They fall short of 
their goal. Read verse 23 all the way down. Let me start in verse 27, then I'll back up to 23. It states this, Then what becomes of our boasting, Paul asks semi-rhetorically. He says, what becomes of our boasting? Is this boasting excluded? No. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now back up to verse 23. To answer this question in verse 27, he goes back up. We need to go back up to 23. He says, for all have sinned. And for all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the one verse. If we were to know one verse out of Romans chapter 3, it would be that verse. And how you and I, as we have grown up in the church, as we have heard that, we think that that is a period at the end of verse 23. But it's not. We think that's the statement, that's the whole statement, and there are no other statements that go in that to make a full statement. But that is not the case. Because Paul doesn't start, excuse me, doesn't stop there in verse 23. He continues his thought and he says these words For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. If you were to just read verse 23, you would not think that the next few verses, the next few words of the next verse would be the word and are justified. That all people are justified. You would think there is absolutely no hope whatsoever for you, for me, for anybody, because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul, even more greater, God, continues they are justified all are justified all that are justified are justified by his grace they are justified as a gift they are justified through the redemption that is in christ jesus the boasting of man is silenced as your work and my work As they fall short of the goal. Paul has laid in front of those at the church at Rome. And he has laid in front of the church. Men and women, believers and unbelievers, the same. He has laid time and time again, generation after generation. For now some 2,000 plus years. He has said, you know what, here's where you stand individually, by yourself, before God. You fall short. Sir, you fall short. Ma'am, you fall short. Brian, you fall short. We fall short. Everything that we seek to do, everything that we try, we fall short. But God understood that, He knew that, and He made a way for one to be justified. What does justified me. I love how Adrian Rogers put it some 30 years ago as I was sitting on about the fourth row as he was preaching one day and this is one of the things that stuck with me and I'm so grateful that it did. He stated this. He said justification is this or being justified is this. It just 
is that God looks at you and he looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. That is being justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. A group of us over the last few weeks, it was about six or seven weeks ago now, we sat in a room, uh, some of the men did, and we were learning some training. We were learning some training that's been uh, working here in the United States. We are learning some training um, that's been working around the world here of late that God is using to draw men and women, boys and girls of all ethnicities, of all socioeconomic statuses to himself. And um, it goes with these verses. Let me share with you briefly just a, a story about how much God loves you. Maybe you've known this for 20 years, 40 years. Maybe you've never heard it before. But you need to understand this, that God loves you. And here's, here's the love story that God has for you and he has for me. God created everything. He, he created everything from nothing. And he created the mountains. He created the seas. He created birds. He created all the animals. He created night and day. And at the end of his creation, he created man. And everything was good. Everything was good. Man and woman were there in the garden and they were in right standing with God and everything was good. But there was one day that man and woman decided to go against the creator who had created them and they turned and they followed the creation. And when they did, there was a separation between man on one side and God on the other side. And Paul wrote in, in Romans, he wrote in this Bible verse, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he states this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's the story. God had everything in proper order and it was good, but then when man decided to go against Creator God, he was placed over here and there was a huge separation between man and there was a huge separation between him and God. And everything they did, as we see in this verse in Romans 3, everything that they did, it fell short to try to get them to God. Every time that you sin, every time that I sin, there's shame, there is fear, there is guilt. You know, for 10 hours going one way, I'm somewhat guilty knowing that I'm going to have to answer to the youth because I'm going to use this example and I'm going to have to answer to you and more than that I have to answer to God that you know I was driving over the speed limit but there's shame and fear and guilt every time you sin every time I sin not just because it's from peers or from family members or from those around you but because of what you have done and what I have done to him but everything that we do, it falls short. And that brings fear and that brings shame and that brings guilt. But God said this, because he loved you and he loved me so much, he said, here is this gift. And this gift is Jesus Christ and this gift is given to you and to me. And it brings eternal 
life. Paul put it so succinctly. In chapter 3, he comes back to it in chapter 6. But let's just look at it. Because it allows us no more boasting. Because it's not because of anything that we have done, but it's everything that He has done. It's not by our works, it's by His gift. Look there in verse 25. You and I are justified by His grace in verse 24. You and I are justified as a gift in verse 24. We are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this gift is Christ. And God put forward Christ as a propitiation by His blood. And you say, what in the world is that word propitiation? That's a $5 theological term that Paul puts in here that you and I need to understand. Because it is a great, great word. All that means is this, that He took your place. You deserve that beating. You deserve those nails. You deserve to die. But because He loved you, because He loved me, He took our place. And His blood was shed instead of your blood being shed. He died instead of you dying for your sins. Paul writes it a different way as he wrote to the people in Corinth and he said, He became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might have His righteousness. He gave so that you and I might be justified. All of this is done. All of this is done to show His righteousness. All of this is done so that right there toward the end of this passage, we can understand this. Let me read it for us. Whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, if you don't know the term of that or the definition of that, but in His divine patience... God had passed over former sins. It's not that he forgot about them. It's not that he did not remember what Moses and the children of Israel did back in the uh, wilderness. It's not that that he had forgotten what David did in the kingdom. It's not that he had forgotten what all the prophets and all the people in those generations had done in the Old Testament. No, he had just passed over it for the time being because of his patience, knowing that there would one day be His only son. It was to show his righteousness. Verse 26 states. At the present time. So that he might be just. And the justifier. He might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I don't know how many times I have stated from this stage one attribute or another attribute or another attribute of God. It is numerous. But here is an attribute of God. He is just. 
there is no partiality whatsoever. He, he doesn't love you more than he loves me. He does not love me more than he loves the person over in, in uh, Ethiopia. He does not love anyone more, anyone less, no matter their uh, bank account, no matter their skin color, no matter their age, no matter their uh, gender. He does not love. There is no partiality. He is just. Malachi put it this way, that there's no shifting or turning with him. But this just God also became the justifier. Because he loved you so much. You, you need to understand that. That needs to sink in to you and it needs to sink in to me today. Because this changes everything. This God, this holy pure, just God is not sitting on his throne looking down at you ready to zap you with his lightning bolt of a finger every time you have a wrong thought, a wrong word, or a wrong action. He is looking down in love through his son that took your place and took my place so that you and I might have his righteousness. You and I think of him so often as a judge. You and I think of him so often as the law, as government. Maybe you think of him uh, in a way, in, in a derogatory sense, because of a father figure that was there or was not there in your life. You and I need to understand this about him. He loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you do or don't do. He doesn't love you because you have a temper or you don't have a temper. He doesn't love you because of the words that you say or because of not the words that you say. He doesn't love you because of anything that you do because you and I don't deserve His love. He loves you. He created you. He loves you because He has the very best for you. Yes, we need to understand Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 3. And it is heavy. It is weighty. It shows us, if we were to look at that mirror, and every time that we do look at that mirror and we see ourselves, it shows us there is no hope, but there is hope. Not in ourselves, but through Christ. If you don't know Him as Savior and Lord of your life this morning, I pray that He has spoken to you. He loves you. For those of us that are here and we have accepted Him as Savior and Lord, may this passage, May this sermon, may these verses, may they be such that build on the foundation that solidify even more, even more, His love for you. And may that change how I think, how I speak, how I act, and how you think and speak and act this coming week. Heavenly Father, 
what you gave. God, you gave your very best. You took my worst, our worst, upon yourself. And you gave us your righteousness through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, these, uh, these verses that we looked at this morning, Father, they're weighty in and of themselves, but as they tie together, as they piece together the, the ending of this section of Romans 1 through 3, God, may we see afresh and anew our standing without Christ in front of you. The shame, the guilt, the fear that is there because of our choices and our nature and our actions. But Father, might we also see because of Christ, because of His actions, because of His worth, because of who He is, the Son of the living God, that He took our place, the worth that we have in Your eyes. Sir, if you're here today and you don't know Him, I pray that His Spirit would be convicting you, calling you to Himself. Ma'am, if you don't know Him today, there is nobody in this room that is better than you are. No matter the actions, no matter the words, no matter the, the thoughts and the motives behind them, as we just read moments ago, there's none righteous. No one seeks after God by themselves. But He came for you because He loves you. Would you respond to Him this morning, sir? Would you respond to Him this morning, ma'am? Boys and girls that are here, that are listening, Father, they... You tell us to come like children. Father, I ask that you would give them clarity to let them know if they've accepted you or not accepted you. And Father, where they have wronged you, that they would come and seek forgiveness. That we would all do that. Father, may you be lifted up as we respond to your grace, as we respond to this gift, as we respond that you are just and also the justifier. May it change our week. May it change the rest of our day. May it change the rest of our lives as we draw closer and closer to you. God, you work. We ask it in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.